I'm saying is we need to look at our own frames. Uh, James Dobson is the worst. He's the most liberal Protestant on the planet. everybody, Bonnie, Mike, and Tim here. Welcome to the Vox Podcast. So glad you are tuning in um, for another weekly episode. Bonnie, Bonnie um, scoured the iTunes review section for the Vox Podcast. We're always, we're always looking for feedback. And, um, and so Bonnie, oh, quick hair update. The hair is up today. Uh, Tim's hair is down with no cap. And um, we, I, I am, I am, still I am bald. Very, I'm feeling very manly, still bald, <laughs> maybe even more so today than yesterday. I'm feeling very manly because I have been operating a hammer drill mm. to tear up the tile in our bathroom floor upon discovery of a leak and lots of mold around one of our crappy toilets, no. literally crappy, like literally crappy. I changed the mm -mm. toilet over yesterday. <laughs> Good Lord. That is, no. if you've never done that, just don't. It's just like a, <laughs> just it's there, there's yourself. this, it's just a, just a poo, just factory. Um, mm -mm. So Bonnie, speaking of poo, what kind of reviews have we been getting lately? And literally I have no idea what these are. Bonnie just said, hey, we, there's one we do want to address uh, because I, there could be, there could be some uh, user error involved. We'll see. Okay. These are All just right. the past, uh, the most recent ones. Okay, let's okay, hear it. so we're just gonna do that. So, um, five stars, and oh, the nice. title is I know, love the recent lineup. I oh, swear boy. I'm not I... making this one up. Okay, you know, Bonnie, <laughs> I just find it so convenient that that somehow, uh, okay, okay, it all says, right, a great <laughs> memo, memo received, <laughs> internet, all right. I, I got it. I can't even say There's no this plot <laughs> to soften Bonnie's voice. Okay. Damn I you, I do Internet. appreciate everybody coming to my defense, but I really was on vacation. It was your fault. It was, it was your fault. fault. <laughs> okay. There's no defense. There's no defense. Okay. okay Love the ahead. recent lineup. A great podcast mm. made mm. fantastic with the addition of Bonnie. Good Love Lord. the changes you've made Good recently. <laughs> See, you didn't lead with that one off air. You said, no, there's this one where this person thinks we're deleting episode. You didn't I mention was, that one. Well, because I wanted it to be a, a, a sweet surprise. Oh, it yes. Okay, here yes, we go. Bonnie, the next one. We love you. This one deserves uh, some feedback. Okay, four stars. Stop deleting podcast episodes. It says, yes. I love you guys. You are five-star worthy, but for the past month, every weekend, you guys come out with an episode. I listen to it and love it, and then you delete it. This is the fourth episode. I'm aware that you guys have deleted, and it's really annoying. Who, who's the username? <laughs> it's, a, it's a, I can't read it. It's like an acronym. Mr. Herbie? No. <laughs> no, Mr. Herbie abandoned us once we spoiled Endgame, <laughs> once I spoiled Endgame. He's like, um, um, wait, okay, so it says don't delete them. They're good and people need to hear it. Anyway, I hope you read this review. Well, you know what we did conveniently smuggled in after the we love Bonnie one. Um, <laughs> no, just been uh, mis mysteriously deleting themselves and just disappearing into the ether. Yes. No, uh, Tim. Tim is our producer. Tim is all things tech. Tim, please address 
My this, guess, uh, my guess is that uh, there's a setting on your phone or in your iTunes when you're listening to podcasts that when you finish an episode, your phone automatically deletes it. We have not deleted any episodes, but nope. I would guess that that is what is happening. And if so, you can go back into your phone and you can change your settings to say not to delete after you finish Play. listening and they'll be there yes. forever. Yes, I've seen that setting on my feed where it'll say delete after listening and I will say no. I have that on mine on purpose so they go away. I should now have see, that on mine. Yeah, that's hurtful. Not um <laughs> So <laughs> no. So so um whoever this is, I, we do not delete. The only thing we've ever deleted were the two previous rants, but we didn't air those. We don't delete a thing. You can go to SoundCloud, go look up Vox Podcast and SoundCloud and literally our entire catalog is there. Um, and, and it's really divided into two sections. Um, B, B before Bonnie and <laughs> AB is... after Bonnie. I can't. All right. That is not true. So, so we'll, we'll designate one section great and we will designate the other section fantastic. Whatever. Yeah. Okay. Here's an, let's do two more. These are two of the most, these are two of the most recent ones. Oh, okay. Body, I just I'm teasing you. You know, you I do know. know. I do know. You're a okay, rock this star. Five stars always gets me rethinking. Ooh. I love the Vox podcast as someone who has been taught a certain way is right. Many of the mm. topics Mike discusses are things that I've always thought, but thought I was alone. If you want Ooh, to be challenged good. to deconstruct some of your beliefs, tune in. Hmm. Well, that's nice. I know. <clears throat> okay, I love last, that. I, that was a good one. And I um I like that that person said um I thought I was alone. Like what a good yeah, feeling to find huge. out you're not. Yeah. Yes. That is the mission of the Vox podcast. Yeah. Absolutely. I love Agree. that. Okay, last one. This one um she just wrote it is called a or the person did. A balm to my burdened heart is the um B L M B or B A L M. B A L M. Okay, oh. that's a very important spell. I agree. I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> like, how is this going to go? Um, I found this podcast after hearing Mike on the Holy Post podcast. Oh, yeah. We love Sky. It wasn't long before I had gone down the rabbit hole of listening to most of the past episodes. I'm so thankful to, pi to find a place to challenge me and welcome me in all my questions and frustrations. I often think about being a community or they often talk about being a community for the spiritually homeless. I'm so glad to have found a home away from home. Keep up the great work. And thank you for making Bonnie a permanent voice on the show. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Oh. What's so good is that it only shows you half of it. So I was reading it and then it said more. So then all it showed was keep up the great work. And then I hit more. And then <laughs> I saw it in your face. <laughs> I could see it in your face as you did it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, oh, all right. It's so good. The verdict is in. <laughs> That's so awesome. All right. So listen, to those of you, and, and I know we say this uh, quite a bit, but uh, subscribing and sharing the podcast and um, uh, reviewing it and rating it. I mean, all of that that keeps us very discoverable in the algorithms, evidently, as we research sort of podcasting. So it's super helpful and super appreciated. Thank you. And we and, and we actually really love 
uh, most of the time, the constructive feedback. And so we're grateful that you guys are so engaged with us today. Um, the, one of, one of the guys I, I follow on the Twitter, um, the, is the a, a Twitter. guy named the Twitter is a guy named, uh, David Fitch, F I T C H. And I've, I've read, he, he's this interesting sort of Anabaptist scholar and, and, um, and so I've read a couple of his previous books, but he, he was coming out with a new book called, um, what's it called? The church of us versus them. Um, and, and I thought, oh my goodness, well, there's, there's something. So, um, I was able to track him down through his publisher and he was great. Now this interview is awesome. If you can just mm -hmm. imagine he is, he is up close to the camera and the microphone. So I can't see his whole face. And, and he goes, he just, he, he's it's 63 good. as he will announce and he goes. And <laughs> he so, does. uh, and which so, is fitting. It, Remember last episode, you said, where are all the old people? I want well, the dude. old people back <laughs> here. There he was there. He was, oh my goodness. So anyway, so this, so there's some interviews where I got to work, did not have to work on this, did not have to work at all. So um, anyway, I hope you enjoy it. We'll we'll outro it here um, as soon as you're done. All right. So anyway, here's David Fitch. Hope you enjoy. And wait, I think we're gonna do a. Aren't we doing a book giveaway? We are gonna do a book giveaway because Bonnie led the book giveaway previously, and it was very successful. So yeah. So we'll and give so, a prompt at the end on our outro. Yes. Okay. So okay, now, cool. now, Tim, anything to add? Nope. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, David Fitch. Hey everybody, welcome to the Vox Podcast. Mike Erie here. So glad to be with you and joining us live from, where are you in Chicago? Uh, I'm sitting in my office at Northern Seminary, which is in Lyle, which is a Western suburb. Lyle, Lyle, Illinois. Now that's uh, that's a lot of L's in that uh, in that city and state. Lyle, Illinois, this is my, my new friend, David Fitch. David has been somebody I've followed for a long time. I've read, I think, all of his books, and he just came out with a new one called The Church of Us Versus Them. And the subtitle is Freedom from a Faith that Feeds on Making Enemies. And so you had me, you had me at the subtitle. Um, anyway, welcome to the show. We're so glad you're with us. Tell us, tell us a little bit about what what it was it, that you saw in the in the evangelical church that concerned you, and that you wanted to address when you sat down to begin this project. Yeah, well, I've been watching uh, the evangelical church. I mean, I'm not a young man. I don't know, yeah, folks. If you're listening, he can actually see how old I am by my picture. <laughs> Thirty-seven. Oh, thanks. I would. I'm actually 47, but <laughs> I'm actually 63 for all those who care. Uh, but I'm a young 63. Okay, but anyways, yes. I have a 14-year-old, by the way, and I still coach hockey at the YMCA. The only Y that I know of that has a hockey program in all of the United States. <laughs> anyways, what was the question again? Oh, yeah, watching evangelicalism for what was yeah? What was concerning to you that 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 pulled this book out of you? Yeah, I am seeing, oh, for 20, 30 years, maybe 40 years, uh, the increasing alignment of the evangelical church. And that includes all the denominations and non-denominational church and all those who, who see uh, Jesus Christ 
and the cross is central to their work, um, who, who believe in the high view of scripture normally uh, articulated through the word inerrancy and, and who believe in conversion and all these things. I have seen this church align itself with power, increasingly with the powers of state government and 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 trying to do God's work through the state. And this has created uh, a bit of a mess. That's an understatement. And <laughs> totally. in the process, we've got pulled into uh, massive antagonisms and uh, fighting and enemy making. And this means just between us as Christians. Yeah. And yeah. for we who follow Jesus, is, who has said, Lord, make them... Uh, who prays to God the Father, make them one. This is a problem for us. So to those, those, the alignment with power, the, the alignment with antagonism, and the alignment with culture, all power moves, uh, I've seen as We are now at a, what, what do you say, a crucial point yeah. in the history of our church as to whether we are going to, can I say survive? Is that too strong, Mike? No, no, no. I think that's a beautiful way to say it. Yes. And right now, I mean, I think you and I know this. I mean, I'm just seeing not only, oh, in, in Chicagoland, we have Willow Creek and Harvest Bible Chapel imploding, yeah. two of the largest mega churches, especially white mega churches in Chicagoland imploding. And we're seeing thousands upon thousands of millennials and younger leaving the church. And I fear leaving it for good. And I, this, this is all leading to a cultural crisis, a crisis of ecclesiology and evangelicalism. And so, uh, I mean, I'm just writing, I've been writing books about this and trying to address our ecclesiology and our engagement with culture for 20 years. So that's, that's my story. And, and boy, do we have a moment <laughs> to talk about today. Yeah, no kidding. One of the things that you say, um, the, the church is not known for love, but it's known for enemy making. And it participates in something called the enemy making machine. So I'd love to, I'd love to talk about how, how do you define the enemy making machine and how does the church participate in it? Yeah, uh, so uh, the enemy making machine is defined by this word antagonism. Hmm. Now, antagonism is a is a technical word in the world of political theory, uh, you know, from from theorists like Slavoj Žižek all the way to uh, Marx. And it says, uh, it's a lot different. It's much more complex uh, than just conflict. Conflict is actually, in my opinion, good. Conflict is something that God uses if we will submit to him in his presence and allow him to work in and through the conflict. But antagonism, does almost the opposite. Hmm. It 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 uh, it aligns you against someone else hmm. instead of submitting yourself to someone. What's God doing? And here we have a disagreement, or you have sinned against me. Matthew eighteen fifteen through twenty. We dig in our heels, and we create an enemy, an object, and we distance ourselves from that person or cause. And we make an enemy out of it. Now our identity, this is the second part. So it's antagonism. It's mm. make an object out of a person. Mm -hmm. The person becomes an enemy, an object we don't know. And then um, it, um, um, we start to uh, get, get our own identity in ideological terms, subjectivity, defined mm. by who we are against 
I get defined by the cause. And uh, I start, and this is another thing, by the way, this is all illustrated in numerous biblical stories, mm-hmm. encounters that Jesus has, and how he doesn't do these things. But the last thing I'll just say is, there's a certain glee, or almost what Zizek calls perverse enjoyment, uh, when the other side loses. This, by the way, is so not Christian, mm-hmm. to see our enemies go down. But this is what, this is what the enemy-making machine does. And I believe that ideological process is the exact opposite of the space, the social space that God can work to change the world. It, it's the work of the enemy. We call it the enemy-making machine, but it's also the work of the enemy to divide and, and create anger and, and want to take you down. And this, I believe, is the work of Satan, and I believe the church has gotten caught up into it uh, mm. in our culture today. So often the enemy making machine takes something that was originally a good distinctive, something that was that that the body at, at large needed to correct it in. And then that becomes its distinctive. And then from there, how do distinctives turn into uh, ways of dividing that that lead to these antagonisms? Yeah, uh, this is a really good point and an important one uh, in the in the book. uh uh, the church of us versus them i talk about how the church is always discerning and at times emphasizing certain beliefs in my own denomination christian missionary alliance premillennialism became a, an important doctrine it happened around the 1920s and 30s when our church and many other churches for that matter were discerning the uh the well german liberalism had an, an, an kind of an invaded into Protestant mainline church and had diminished the, the importance of the bodily second coming of Jesus Christ, the return and the consummation of his kingdom. And uh, there was a reading of the Bible. I won't go into it. But anyways, premillennialism uh, mm-hmm. with the understanding that uh, before Jesus returns uh, and he will return, we will uh, work for the kingdom. And, and there's a lot of problematics with it, but actually it was a good, it was a good, doctrine to discern, yes, the second coming of Christ is important. Yes, we must work to bring in the kingdom. The gospel must be preached to all the nations, and then the end will come. Matthew, I can't remember the exact text. You probably know that, Mike, better than me. Oh, of course, in the Greek, of course. But uh, uh, unfortunately, over time, it became a defining doctrine uh, of us uh, over against those liberals that don't believe in the second coming and it made an enemy out of those. And we stopped talking about the issue. And then by the way, a hundred years later, most churches don't even know what premillennialism <laughs> means, but we're going to get behind it because we're those people that believe in the second coming over against those who don't. And this is the way uh, ideology enemy making happens. We extract a belief out of its discerning, importance in our everyday mm-hmm. lives mm-hmm. and it becomes a banner to wave that we're not them and we lose the ability to discern actually jesus is returning actually he shall reign until all have been made so all enemies have been made subject first right. Corinthians 15 25 and so these are important discernments to understand how we are to live in the world but we take it out of living in the world and we turn it into a banner that actually we don't even know what it means anymore. We just know we're <laughs> against them who don't. Yes. Okay. So it's so so a conflict 
is we have a sincere on the ground disagreement. A discernment then forms a distinctive, like uh, justification by faith is another example, like a really important correction. Yes. But that then... I would say correction or emphasis that that's something that clarifies out of scripture an important moment that we're in right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's better said. And, and then that gets used into some sort of empty signifier where now it's a litmus test about who the good guys and who the bad guys are. Okay. And so, so like the, for, for me and my background, the inerrancy conversation is, you know, fits that perfectly that there are people who will go to the wall saying the Bible, who's an, the Bible is inerrant, but they don't read it. They don't devote themselves to it. They don't. Uh, put it into practice. So th- that's this is something you call a banner, correct? It's like yeah. we're going to fight inerrancy, but that banner actually removes you from the real interaction with whatever the banner is signifying. Right, right. The way I talk about it in the book is I say we we not know what we believe about the Bible, but mm-hmm. uh, we don't actually engage in living the Bible. <laughs> okay, and so the whole purpose of inerrancy was in that era uh, when the historical accuracy of scripture was being undermined by certain modernist epistemologies, which we won't go into, uh, the inerrancy uh, discernment was actually, I believe, a good one for the time, but it has over a hundred years revealed its inadequacies as the cultural constructs of understanding authority and history have changed. It now actually undermines the authority of Scripture, if you ask me. But 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 having said that, what <laughs> happens is the inerrancy thing, and, and people who are listening to me need to know, I believe in the inerrancy. Well, let me put it this way. Uh, the intent of inerrancy, the high view of the authority of Scripture, I not only believe in, I sign a statement to uh, as an ordained pastor in the Christian Missionary Alliance, but... Uh, I think that what happens is just like all beliefs, they get extracted. Now, it's as I try to make clear in the book, inerrancy really doesn't mean anything anymore. Actually, the original autographs, which used to be part of all the inerrancy statements, mm-hmm. says, "Well, there's if, if there's a uh, we're, we're talking about inerrancy according to the original autographs, and of course, no one's ever seen the original autographs, so yeah. it doesn't really." mean anything anymore what it is it's a banner we're waving against those who don't believe in inerrancy and it's created a whole culture that has worked against discerning and reading scripture together to follow jesus for our lives and into into the world so so let's take that let's take that and push it a step further so uh i'm around people all the time who have huge questions about the bible and um and, and even last weekend as we're recording this there was a eruption on Twitter um, about the literal resurrection versus a spiritual resurrection or whatever other term you want to use. Yes. Uh, and, and those are important doctrinal issues. Yes, I believe how, so. so. So how do, how does the church or, or, or just how do, how do we move beyond the simple name calling? Okay, well, you're denying the resurrection. You're not a Christian, right? The resurrection has become a because because there has to be room for some signifiers, right? For some banners. I mean, Paul seems to say, "Listen, um, you know, if the resurrection didn't happen, then your faith is totally in vain." Um, so, how how do you engage in those sorts of doctrinal disagreements in a way that doesn't promote the enemy making of how we normally do? Well, you know, okay, so. Um, 
this is a pretty thick question, uh, Mike. You know, I'm going to start out by saying that the way theology and belief and doctrine has been done historically has been through, you know, uh, the outworking of of issues. Like we're, we could go to the Nicene Creed, mm-hmm. you know, 320 or something. And, and there the Arian controversy was asking about who Jesus was in his uh, place right. in in the triune God and a lot of good thinking was happened there. Uh, and so it kind of establishes a, uh, a, a beachhead. So now Orthodox Christians believe in the divinity of Christ. Um, now, having said that, uh, homoousion, the Greek a word for how we describe God's uh, Jesus oneness with, with God um, and his ontological divinity and, and its unity with his humanity. I mean, that is probably not the best, most helpful way to think about it today, only because we don't have those same Greek uh, mm-hmm. metaphysical categories to work with. It's not part of the vernacular. So we have to think through it again. So there, I believe, by the way, um, that Jesus is fully God, fully man. And and there's there's helpful things that we take away from there, but we don't stop trying to articulate it and and communicate it and preach it and proclaim it for today and all that to say i don't know i don't know if this is helping or not but but (laughs) it's that it's that extending process because right now we have multiple cultures multiple languages Mm -hmm. even those who speak english it's people in california i was just in california people who speak english in venice beach speak it and say it and think it differently than those of us who are here in chicago and so we have to listen and communicate so we we faithfulness means we extend the doctrine but i i would but every conflict is an opportunity to do what i call contextual theology context help people mm-hmm. understand that jesus is god that he is lord you know the word lord takes some explaining, some re-narrating of what it means to be Lord in the Old Testament and the New mm-hmm. Testament, where that word curios came from in the New Testament. This is, this is why, you know, people often say, ah, we don't need seminary education today. We need it more than ever. We need it because <laughs> we are just in a complete flux when it comes to culture and language and to communicate the great truths and extend the reality of who Jesus is and what he's doing in the world and how he's, it's, it's, it's just a never ending process of embodying that and communicating that and proclaiming it in each place we live. Mm-hmm. I don't so, know if I got off track there or not, but I tried. I to, love it. I, tried I love to, it. <laughs> I love it. No, no, no. So, so I, let's say I come across a tweet and my instinct so so let's i'm a you know obviously affirm the physical resurrection of jesus but i'm just this is a live example over the weekend and here's somebody that says nope i'm a christian minister and i deny the literal resurrection my instinct is to say well there aren't many battles i need to be fighting but that certainly seems like one of them um so how, how and, and in Twitter, of course, it's just easy to name call and then you're done, right? You've done your virtual sig- virtue signaling. Yeah. But but what what does a non-enemy making alternative look like in that situation? Is that is that sitting over a meal uh, and clarifying what they mean? Is that just doing a lot of listening and understanding how they're using the words? I mean, what 
like what's I, I think it's hard for people to envision the alternative because right all we've got is the antagonisms at least that's what we see yeah. all the time so this is why I'm part of a denomination a history hmm. um, if I got up on Sunday morning and said out of Luke 10 uh, when Jesus said I saw Satan fall like lightning what he really meant was uh, that Saturn is the seat of the authority <laughs> of God and that I need to bow to Saturn every night at about 10 o'clock when it shows up in the horizon. If I said that on a Sunday morning, if, if people would say, what? Okay, that's weird, number one. Two, I've never heard it before. Three, this is just not faithful to the scripture. Even though he's got all that Judeo-Christian uh, origins exegesis to fall back on, something's off here. Hmm. They refer me to my denomination. And then my denomination needs to ask questions because the question is, this is why I believe in ordination, by the way, for all those people hmm. out there who think you can just wake up on a Sunday morning and go install yourself as senior pastor of the first church of your block. No, there's ordination processes. There's extending the gospel as handed on. And my denomination, I would, would expect, would call me in, ask me questions, clarifying questions. Where did I get this? And so um, I have to uh, maintain some um, orthodoxy, some faithfulness. At the same point, so so anyways, I, I don't know if that answers your question, but I think it's my denomination. I, I am submitted to an ordination council and a history. And granted, um, I don't always agree with them on everything and I have to submit to them sometimes when I think they're maybe a little off. And if things get really off and I, and, but I must submit, I must mutually submit and ask questions and, and answer questions until we work out is Jesus was Jesus saying God sits at the right hand on the planet Saturn or not? Okay. <laughs> but, but now here's what happens every once in a while in culture, especially when culture is changing, especially in mission, when we are engaging a culture, which is completely um, yeah. in, in either uh, outside of the influence of the gospel or maybe in disobedience or rebellion against the gospel. Or, and I think our culture is a mess right now. Uh, on many different levels, um, we're going to hit issues we've never had to deal with. The That's sexuality right. issue is one in the last 25 years that my dad, who was a pastor in the 50s, 60s, 70s, days, never had to think about. Of course, he, he never had to think, is gay or lesbian sexuality or marriage orthodox? Now we have to think about it, and now we have to discern it, and we have to extend faithfully the gospel, and we have to do, um, we have to extend discipleship practices. This happened in Africa to my denomination at the turn of the last century. Polygamy, they encountered polygamy, and they, and of course, uh, I'll just say the first thing they did. And I use this example in Prodigal Christianity and other places where we written about this. Uh, the first thing they did is they said, "Well, the Scripture says." You must be husband of one wife, divorce every wife but one, and you can become a member, get baptized. You can even be in leadership. But if you don't divorce every wife but one, you're, you're out. And uh, they, they became known as the church of divorce. And mm. um, 
and a lot of people got hurt because a lot of women were on the streets with no way to take care of themselves mm -hmm. and bad things happen and they had to work for discerning and discipleship for that issue over 50 years before it was eventually worked out so this is what happens when we're in mission we've got to discern 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 faithfulness. We don't give up the resurrection, the physical bodily resurrection. We don't give up the physical return of Christ. We, we, we uh, hang on to orthodoxy and extend it even further. What does this mean for this and this and this? Right, exactly. And, and so let's take the sexuality example, right? You've got the church is being flooded with gay men and women who love Jesus Yes, and who who witness to a reality that m the vast majority of us have not experienced. Namely, I don't remember a time being attracted to anyone of the opposite sex. Uh, I didn't choose to be this. And they're also testifying to the fact that Jesus is real and that He is lo loving them and using them and working in them. Yes, and so so here's one of those discernment moments. Absolutely, I mean this is the critical. The, the critical issue yeah. that seems to symbolize everything else. And so we form our affirming camps and our non-affirming camps, right? Yeah. And, then, and, then, and then those, those signifiers become, you know, like, a, like an example, Church Clarity, which is this organization that wants churches just to admit whatever their view is. Yes. Um, and, and, it, and those are the only options, right? You have unclear and then you have somewhat, you know, uh, um, affirming or uh, completely affirming or whatever, yeah. but, but affirming and not affirming are the only spaces there. So how does this work in a non-enemy making way, particularly when you discern, uh, you work to discern together and the groups just end up disagreeing? Yeah. Uh, all right. One of the, I'm going to throw an, an additional. Do it. In here. Do it. Um, Often when we're engaging culture, uh, our first impulse, especially when cultures are in massive shifts all mm -hmm. over, most of the people my age, most of the people 50 years of age and older are used to not being challenged, uh, are used to a monolithic culture in the 70s and 80s. And so uh, now everything is up for grabs and our mm -hmm. first impulse is either to defend mm -hmm. or accommodate and defend distances us accommodate we try to acquire power by making friends with people who we uh you know whatever the issue is and coming alongside and saying god is at work in all things and we don't either way defend or accommodate we don't really engage for faithfulness and so often, by the way, we must first look at ourselves in order to get a handle as to what's going on. Like, for instance, uh, I don't want to shock you or anything, but like, like when you were saying, I have never been attracted to another man uh, and you're a man, uh, you were playing into an existing framework that is right out of U.S. culture 101. Hmm. That says that attraction is the basis for a lot of decisions, especially marriage. Hmm. I must be attracted to my wife. Now, I've been married for 20 years. And the last <laughs> thing I want is the pressure 
at my age, especially <laughs> of having to be attractive to my wife and my marriage, depending on it. Okay. I'm joking a little bit here now, but what I'm saying is we need to look at our own frames. Yeah. Uh, James Dobson is the worst. He's the most liberal Protestant on the planet. James Dobson says, oh, attraction is the basis of marriage, and, and marriage is the idol, and family is the idol, and you've got to be attracted to your wife, and you've got to take her out on a date every three three months, or is it every week? Every week, I think. I think it's every and, week. And you've got to stoke the flames of attraction. This is this is right off of Hollywood. Anthony Giddens wrote a book, Transformation of Intimacy, and he showed how the idea of attracting, being attracted to someone romantically, and that being the basis of marriage, didn't start, it started 150 years ago with the invention of novels, especially romantic novels in mm-hmm. England. It never existed before. We got married for totally other reasons, and then attraction was um, developed over time, and it has nothing to do with your body parts. There's so much about attraction in our culture. You can't turn on the TV. I, I guarantee you, you and you could sit in my office. We could turn. I don't have a TV in my office, but if there was, <laughs> we could turn on the TV. We could turn on a sitcom, and we could see all of the assumptions about attraction and how it drives everything we do, including capitalism, consumerism, what you buy, and we've bought into it. A thousand percent and meanwhile we are commodifying people's body parts we're marrying people because we're attracted to them because they have this quality this quality and we are objectifying them and this is totally contrary to not only marriage in the Bible it's contrary to the way we are to engage other people and them as persons and the heresy and James Dobson has bought into it and I'm, I'm a kind of upset about it, but the point is we never, we never look at our own frames and then we're the ones who created this mess. Right. I was a, when I was a teenager going to evangelical church, uh, uh, you know, uh, the youth pastor had to be this good looking person guy yep. normally with great hair and, Oh, they're such an attractive couple. And that's what we all had to aspire to. And right. we got to look like this, feel like this. And, and anybody who didn't feel that way or look that way, mm-hmm. well, I'm going into church. I'm going, I, I, I don't relate to that. I must be gay. And this is, this is the whole framework that we've bought into in our, uh, in our churches. We have created this. My, my friend, Andrew Marin, Mm-hmm. Forgive me for going off on this for about an hour, but I'll close, I'll close with this. Andrew Marin wrote the book, Us Versus Us, mm. another versus book, did a survey, biggest survey ever done on gay and lesbian people, 3,000 samplings, University of Chicago supervised, 88% of gay and lesbian people come from church. Out of 88% of them, 90 over 90% are come from a conservative evangelical church why do you think that is Mm. well i don't know tell me it's because we've created this culture and we need to repent Mm. and completely change uh completely follow jesus when it comes to thinking about marriage about sexuality about celibacy you know Mm. uh, not to bring up another hot topic but josh harris 
Uh, I was just going to ask you about it. Well, we grieve. We grieve another divorce and another pastor leaving the faith. But we have, we, he, he, okay, so I'm actually, uh, I actually think we, I teach my 14 year old son the wisdom of the church hmm. to not have sex before marriage, to, to faithfully shape your life towards chastity, towards one person, monogamy. There's a lot of wisdom there. And so I think Josh Harris was onto something, although the enforcement and coercion mm. and legalism around the enforcement of that code backfires. If you still are thinking, oh, attraction is, is if, you're, if you're using the code to reinforce an old frame, or I should say a romanticist Hollywood frame of marriage, it's not going to work. And Josh Harris, I think, found out. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, these are the, these are the intense cultural questions the church has got to engage about its life before it gets caught up in the antagonism of us versus them, affirming versus not affirming, in which we'll never get at all of the issues mm. of conversations on the ground with people, where they're at, what they're going through, and how to follow Jesus faithfully in these times. So, so a big takeaway for me is um, the labels themselves replace the actual act of discerning. Yes. And relating and engaging. Yes. Right? So I just punt to, well, I think uh, affirming marriage is a sin. Uh, affirming gay marriage is a sin, and that's all I have to do. I don't have to talk to anybody. I don't have to engage with anybody. I don't have to be kind to anybody. That's what we're talking about, correct? Yes, and it goes on both sides. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely I mean, does. It's equally true of progressives who want to say, I affirm, never dealing with any of the complexities of what's going on in people's lives and sexuality. Sexuality is so complex. Right, right. Yes. One of the things we've tried to, to say is that affirming or not affirming, those just aren't big enough categories to talk about what Jesus is like or how Jesus thinks about these things. Yes. Um, and so the, so the enemy making part of this takes a, a critical, a moment of discernment um, like we're in now. And there's, so there's conflict. So there's multiple sides. We elevate that then to banner affirming, not affirming. And, um, and then we can quit thinking about it. Is that, is that kind of the general picture? It, it's so true. And, uh, you know, um, I, so I, I will, I, I want to kind of chasten the conversation a little bit. Cause I think when some people hear you and I talking right now, they think, Oh, um, I can't give direction on any of this. Hmm. Well, I'm here to tell you, I have a 14 year old. And I have a, and he needs, he needs direction, but he needs conversation. He needs understanding the depth and the meaning of what God has done when he created male, female. And he needs direction uh, when it comes to understanding how sin, rebellion, desire can get misshaped. And so um, I'm not saying don't give direction to your 14 year. We need it. Mm -hmm. Our church has gone through discernment processes on this multiple times. Um, but to just simply go not affirming or affirming doesn't get down to the complexities. Um, mm. So each time my, my son has a question, I have to carefully listen. 
And I have, mm-hmm. to, I have to tell them what we're called to, where we're called to go with our desires, where we're called, how we are to deal, de- deal with desire, lust, objectification. Yeah. None of this, right. by the way. I mean, the, the, yeah. period, the period that I grew up with, and as far as I know, even like most recently, parents have not been talking to their kids about sexuality. Part of it, right. by the way, is very scary because you have to reveal your own. Oh, yeah your own sins and, and oh and, yes oh yes that's why we don't talk about it my friend <laughs> these yes. are these are these are these are the times i just believe god's called we, we must become a new church a church of authentic real sanctification power by the holy spirit and jesus will work to use all these conflicts to bring about a healing in the world mm. through the mm. church but we can't get caught up in these antagonisms. Okay, so practically, I'm 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 in a church, and we have affirming people in the church, and we have non-affirming people in the church, and the the gay men and women in the church are asking rightly, "Hey, can I serve in leadership? Can I take communion? Would you bless my marriage?" Um, and the the non-affirming crowd is saying, well, no, I mean, and here's our, you know, here's the received wisdom from tradition, but then here are the classic sort of defenses of uh, the, the texts that speak to this. How, how does that work? Uh, how does that stay at a level of conflict and not enemy making? Uh, I'm trying to fish for what are, what are concrete ways in which a church that has that has people who deeply believe their marriage to someone of the same gender is holy and blessed. And you have people sitting across from them who believe that is not true. And, and um, that marriage is one man, one woman. How, how does that, how does that work itself out practically for a church leadership trying to figure out what their stance should be? Right. Uh, Okay. So uh, I've got, I've got a few comments it's not going to be exhaustive. It's not going to answer. Of course, of course. Question. First thing I would do is, this is what I told uh, my district superintendent. Hmm. I said, uh, myself and everybody else on the pastoral team of my church, and I'm I'm a pastor, by the way, of a church with six, four pastors and two in training. Love it. The ones, and you're all bivocational. And we're all bivocational or co-vocational or whatever the the word is. <laughs> uh, and we sign a, a traditional sexuality statement, uh, basically out of Genesis, uh, one, two, and three, and out of, out of, uh, you know, and, and celibacy and, and all this stuff. But I, I says, uh, let's not make any policy statements. I, I've had, I got this in writings all, all over the internet. If you Google no policy statement, gay mm-hmm. and David Fitch, you'll find him. But, um, let's not make any policy statements up front. Uh, so-and-so and so-and-so, if, if engaged in so-and-so, cannot take communion. So-and-so and so-and-so, if uh, cannot be a Sunday school teacher. So-and-so and so-and-so, you know, don't make any policies. Work them out one at a time. And uh, so we've, we've had uh, issues like this at our church. And, and so if you got an issue with, let's say, um, so I, I use, I think I use this in, I can't remember which book, but I, I talk about a guy who called me up and I gave him this advice. He said, so uh, we have a lesbian couple in our church, wonderful people. I love them. He says to me, they are wonderful 
Jesus followers. Um, and uh, so the question came up, could they um, become leaders in our church? And some discussions started to happen in our congregation. And the pastor heard about it and he got worried about it. And so he went into a room with his four elders and they rushed to a decision. They said, we are affirming and furthermore, uh, all offices and privileges and rights of members are open to gay and lesbian people. And this, and, and this was imposed on the congregation. This is what, by the way, Christendom power moves do all the time. They shut down conversation. They impose from the top down. Welcome to Christendom. It's, mm. it's alive and well, especially in evangelical churches. I said, and so he said to me, that's so bad because now I have to leave the church. I go, well, maybe you don't have to leave the church. Maybe you can go directly to Mary. I'm making up a name. Mary, uh, who is a lesbian, who wants to teach Sunday school in your daughter's 12-year-old class. Maybe you can say to her and tell her, Mary, I have an issue, a problem. I'm worried. I'm concerned. You're going to influence my daughter. And I believe, I'm just going to tell you, I believe that uh, same-sex sexual relations are not God's best plan for my daughter. I don't want her influenced. And then I said, she'd probably say, oh, you don't understand influence or something, or you don't understand how people become attracted to same-sex. She's not going to get influenced. And, and then maybe you can say, well, I want to give you this example out of my life when I was deeply influenced in mm -hmm. terms of my sexuality. And then maybe Mary will give you an example from her life. And then maybe a whole space will be opened up for God to work in this conversation. And then maybe, just maybe, we can't predict, we can't control the Holy Spirit, but maybe Mary will see something she's never seen before about how God works in her sexuality. Or at the very least, maybe Mary will say, you know, I want to honor you and I and I, I just want to hold off teaching this Sunday school class, and we can continue this conversation. But whatever happens, that's opened up space for not only the, the Mary and, and this guy to learn and grow and see God move. Maybe some things change and are get transformed. I know of situations where those conversations have opened up space for transformation in both George and Mary in the conversation. Or yeah, both both people. Yes, both yeah. sides. And at, at the very least, the space has been opened up for God to work in people's lives. And Mary will not teach the Sunday school class out of respect for George. And they will continue to live and work out their salvation in fear and trouble. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's not how it happens, <laughs> ever. <laughs> So when I, you, I contend those are the conversations we need to have. Mm -hmm. We need to have them probably in twos and threes in safe places, but it's going to take a cultivating of that kind of church because this is the way God will work through his presence among people working out conflicts for the kingdom of God. When, when is it okay to divide? When is it okay? So if, if we come, if, if George and if Mary, says, just playing on the example, hey, I hear you, I understand, um, I actually think your your daughter does need to be influenced to be open to gay and lesbian people. I think this is actually really important that she see role models. Um, uh, so I, I don't think, I think the influence is necessary for, for your daughter's spiritual formation. So now, so now we have, 
uh, what's cool hand Luke say a failure to communicate or whatever we have, we have an impasse and, um, when, when in the process of discernment is, uh, is, um, dividing. Okay. You know, as yeah. you're wrestling with this and, um, and, and again, not demonizing the other, but, but saying, Hey, we just simply can't live together in this shared space. I think, uh, you know, Jesus uh, talks about uh, the sword and he comes to, uh, he does not come to bring peace, but the sword. And the sword, by the way, is not in my view, not just in my view, but in my exegetical work. The sword is not in Jesus' hands a, a tool of violence, coercion. It is a tool of dividing, like Hebrews says, the Word of God. Uh, I'm sorry, Mark Driscoll disagrees with you. <laughs> okay, okay, don't go there. How did, anyway, how did that work out? Anyways, yeah. <laughs> uh, we, uh, what I'm trying to say is that Jesus, um, the 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 work of division of revealing uh, enemies, is is done by the power of the Spirit, not by me waving a sword of coercion. Uh, the word of God divides, but I would say eventually, uh, eventually, uh, the enemies leave if they are in tra- there will folks, if you're listening to me out there in TV land or radio land or whatever this podcast, <laughs> uh, there, there will be enemies. There will be people in rebellion to the spirit. There will be people leave. There will be people who say, I am, uh, against you. And uh, we don't respond by saying, I'm against you. They will just leave because just like Judas Iscariot around the table couldn't stand the conviction and he was so entrenched, he left. There will be people leave. And I guess what I'm trying to say is hang in there as long as possible. Uh, hmm. But but there are times when, um, you know, I mean, uh, I, that's about the best I can do right now because I – I'm not saying there's never a time to uh, leave or divide or or uh, uh, maybe go to another church uh, because, um, frankly, I mean, I, I don't know if you consider what Bonhoeffer did and, and what Park did when they started the Confessing Church over against the Deutschen Christen movement in Germany. Uh, uh, and I don't know whether they would consider that they left the church, but what they did do is they huddled up in groups for faithfulness and, uh, and they worked out things in fear and trembling. And of course, it, in my estimation, a little too, too little, too late. <laughs> that's a, that's another, uh, long discussion. Uh, but that's how I see it working. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So just to wrap up our time, thank you so much. I love, I love, um, uh, I love that you're very much still in process working this out because I, I think that's the posture that resonates with everybody, right? I mean, we, the, the time for, hey, I'm 30 and I know everything. I mean, that time is over. Uh, the time for I'm 60 and I know everything, that time is over, right? So there's this, I, the, the posture of mutual submission, mutual discerning. Um, that's super interesting. I think for me, I don't know how that plays out because even when I was a pastor, 
uh, I, I inherited all of the traditional models of leadership. I was the senior pastor. It was my job to have the vision. Yep. It was my job to keep everybody in line and to keep them aligned and, yep. fight, you know, fight against the elders for the vision I had that God had given me. I mean, and that, all of that's just disgusting. It's, it's, is it disgusting or like, like I, I always like to say uh, Christendom worked for a while. And, and in fact, Christendom and the coercion structures, hierarchies, they, they work when, when everybody's a Christian and they get things done efficiently. Uh, and they, they, keep, they keep everybody happy. I, call, I, I, I sometimes say, look, if you want to warehouse Christians until you know, uh, they die or Jesus comes, one or of, one of the other, then okay, uh, use these megachurch Christendom constructs. But now we're in mission, and it's not. Right. That's not right. going to work. Right. So where can people find you online? Um, I'm at the Missio Alliance author page, uh, missioalliance. Nice. I think it's dot org. Uh, Missio Alliance Dave Fitch will get you there if you if you Google that. Um, and I don't know. I also blog a bit on uh, mm-hmm. McKnight's uh, <laughs> Scott McKnight's blog, and then I also have Fitchest uh, a Twitter feed and, and and Facebook, which you can't really get become a friend of mine because it's over. Subscribe, but you can follow, and all 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 these discussions go on daily yeah. over there. No, they really do. They really do. That's one of the fun things. I uh, I watch those always. So, my man, thank you. Thanks for writing this book, The Church of Us versus Them. Uh, I'm so grateful for time with you. Let me um, let me turn off all my recording and then just say thank you. Okay. Yes. All right, guys. What'd you think? Mr. David Fitch. (laughs) Okay, that rant on relationships. Okay, that's obviously not in the book. Come on. I I didn't see that coming. I didn't see it coming at all. I loved his rant on relationships because in his talk about attraction, when he was talking about James Dodson, I I was, I died. (laughs) (laughs) And just like how he bought into, you know, this like, theology of attraction we have and i also love that he was like this is a side note and obviously not in the book but when he was like and you have to have you have to be so attracted to your wife at all times and take her on a date and do this stuff or whatever i always think that because everybody's like weekly date nights how we survive and i'm like i just went on a date with Sai. And it was the first time in two years. So yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> That's right. I'm not sure how, like I must be failing in so many areas. No, I think target runs should count as dates. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Cruising the aisles at target without children. That's a date. To, that that's is. a date in my book. Anything without children that gives you room to talk. Or like is a date. The children are there, but they're watching TV. That, you Maybe know, I have low standards. <laughs> well, no, no, no. I mean, that's, I call that relaxing. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Because I don't know that I'm always talking to my spouse in those moments either. But yeah, I gave true. up, I gave up being attractive long ago. And, and, um, and so you guys are looking at me like, really? Yeah. Look at me. No, um, <laughs> no, but, but the, the, the part of one of the hangovers of, of purity culture is the, hey, I'm dating my smoking hot wife mm-hmm. and I'm going out with my babe and talking about him in just such 
sort of hyperbolic, ridiculous, sexualized ways. Yeah. And we're just like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course, you're a pastor, you love sex, it's awesome, this is what you do. I mean, it's just it's so, so weird. So dumb. It puts, like, such a bad um, pressure on women, too. Um, oh, I mean, it's I terrible. Especially, you're supposed to also be, like, carrying children and raising them, and it's like... I can't remember the last time I showered when you have a newborn. It's just like this weird thing. And I went once to, a week. Yeah, once, once a week, a week is what you've said. I, I said my hair. Okay. <laughs> that is different than <laughs> right. my body. Um, <laughs> but I went to this church once and we were there. Like we were trying to, it's like we had left a church we were going to and we were trying out new churches. And we went in and the guy it was preaching that type of message. Like you need, you know, you need to be attracted, attractive, and you need to make sure your wife's attracted. And then I'm not kidding. This is the type of message that comes out of that. He said, women, oh when your husband comes home, make yes. sure that you look nice and you have makeup on because he sees beautiful women all day. And so if he ends up having an affair, that's not on him. Oh, what? It's because you didn't no, no, look no, no, nice. No, 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 no. Are you serious? Swear it. Where? From where? Was this in California or Texas? It's, it was in Tech. I mean, California. It sounds like what? Oh, because I was going to say it sounds like Texas. No, it was You're in saying Torrance. That's... Good Lord. And Are you so serious? We, I swear. And so we just like, oh we just left <laughs> because we were like, nope, nope. Wow. But there well, is talk, that line Let's of talk about, yes, yes. And, and is there something to the idea that that the, our, our spouse shouldn't get our leftovers? And I, I think there's something to that, right? I mean, that part of my caring for my spouse is basic hygiene, <laughs> you know, at least for on the boy side, um, you know, like... Like I'm not always I, I don't I'm not always wearing ratty T-shirts. I mean, I, you know, there there I'm sure there's some balance there, but holy cow to Christianize! I mean, f imagine if Fitch got a hold of that sermon. I know I should find it and send it to him. He'd go he'd go crazy. <laughs> uh, Tim, what did you think? What did he you think about burst. the burst? Yes, he would explode. Uh, the all the attractive attraction stuff. It just we're now we're kind of in this pool of purity culture conversations mm -hmm. and it's just it was just remind like some of the stuff you guys just said it was reminding me of that growing up in the church and talks about sex being like yeah you gotta wait till you get married to do these things but once you do god is gonna bless it and it's gonna be like fireworks and i remember getting married and we kind of fumbled around and being like nah, this was kind of difficult and i feel really ill-prepared and i thought this was gonna be like a right um it was just gonna be automatically blessed and crazy and instead it was it was confusing and so the attraction yeah. stuff is like so true. It resonated. It made sense. Um, although my wife is really attractive, so I felt conflicted. <laughs> You're like that's so. just my yeah. natural thing. <laughs> that's like, that's well. good. I don't know that he's he's denigrating attraction as much as he is its priority. Right. And I think yeah, that and whole the thing is just like global, it, yeah. like what you just said about presenting your best self. You know, that's just a whole. Like yeah, I try to be in shape and kind of stuff half you know Shut so up. that i'm attractive for her half so that uh i'm healthy right and yeah. then but that whole thing is a whole package like it's me being my best version for her like you know in a global sense it's not just yeah well the sure inertia clean my armpits the inertia of marriage is just to grungy grungy clothes and um you know uh morning breath i mean that's the <laughs> that's the inertia and so there there is a there is a discipline um, 
that that is no 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 i mean there's there's a so so i don't want to i mean there's a, a small tiny little bit of a point uh buried underneath that crap right um that that okay i mean if i if if you know you've been married like us 20 years you know it's just not enough to um I mean, you know, I, 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 she asked me to stop walking around in my thong, and I, I thought <laughs> that was attractive. She said she thought it was gross, so I, you know, I totally misread that situation. I just want you to know that I have a very, very visual mind, so. I yeah, want you just, to know that I that don't. That whole thing just played through. So that played in my favor because just, I did. Just picture an albino walrus. <laughs> My with a bikini God. this has gone off the rails okay but let's let's transition for a second so this is this is a good example to what his book really is about us versus them so there is people all over that have different views on things let's we could segue from this attraction thing um and his point is that there's a difference between having conflicting viewpoints and having an antagonist point of view That's and right. i thought that was really interesting that god could use conflict he says but antagonism actually does the opposite. And so it That's sets right. people up as their enemies. And so what's tough there is I have a problem, and I'd love to hear both of your guys' wisdom, is that um, there are certain topics, like, and I feel bad about this because I, I need to just do better at finding the wisdom there. There are certain topics that don't, um, that I disagree on, that don't drive me to have an antagonistic viewpoint about somebody. I'm okay to yeah. disagree. Yeah. And then there are others, like the attraction one we just talked about, that for right. sure they feel like the enemy in my head. You yeah. know what I mean? Yep. Um, and so when you were saying, I was like really interested when you were saying, when is a good place for conflict? I'm yeah. wondering, and perhaps I am the only mean-spirited person, but is there a place for <laughs> yes, antagonism? <Bonnie. laughs> the other reviews that we've deleted from <laughs> iTunes have all made that comment. But like, yes, she's is great, there a, but she's mean. But she's so mean. <laughs> is there a place, I, I honestly want to know, that, that of an enemy? Does that make sense? Like, I feel yes. like an enemy should be a line of thinking that does bring someone down. That does, like, to me, that's an enemy. So I'm like, I was listening to it, and I'm like, oh, I get that. And then I'm like, but there are some things that I would, I feel comfortable calling an enemy. If that, right. <laughs> so I don't right. know. What do you guys think? Ooh. All right, Tim, you go. I'll defer to you first. Wow. Well, um, Tim and I are practicing mutual deference. Uh, um, I would so I so first of all, where's the best place to have conflict? It's over. It's over dinner, right? Um, it's in a it's in a small community of people who are wrestling, and that's his big his big remedy to the antagonism piece is to be working this stuff out. And, and this is where he's very Anabaptist in the um, in a small group of people who are practicing mutual submission and dependence upon Jesus as Lord. All right. Yeah. Um, and so so he's trying to he's trying to say, listen, there's a difference between uh, enemy, an enemy making thing and an enemy revealing thing. So Jesus had enemies, mm. not because he made mm. them, but because the presence of his kingdom revealed them. Some Ooh. of those were demonic. Some of those were were uh, hard-hearted individuals who simply could or would not join into the jubilee that was inbreaking through Jesus's ministry. And so, so too, there will be 
And, and this is, I would, I would, I say this, like, this is something I've prayed for a long, long time. Like, Jesus, I never want to add to or I never want to take away from the offense of you, right? Mm. Um, meaning, if you're, if, if you're going to be offended at Jesus, we don't, want you, we don't want you offended at the subculture's picture of Jesus or the church's view of Jesus. I mean, be properly offended at Jesus if you're mm. going to find him offensive, right? We don't, yeah. don't want to put stumbling blocks in the way for people. Similarly, when... Uh, I like I've I changed my mind on um, on women in ministry and um, and and that change even though I um, you know I I feel kind of firmly about this but um, there are people who oppose that just in virtue of the theology right now I'm you, not you you I'm just clearing it up for listeners you did change your mind you're not changing uh, it now this is not a new revelation you're saying well, I'm in changing the past it after those reviews. <laughs> Um, Shut up. <laughs> no, I'm so sorry. I'm just, I'm just, I'm feeling so playful because my dumb bathroom is leaking everywhere. Um, and so anyway, I'm totally, totally just kidding. Um, You're saying, uh, I'm just saying you were one thing and now you've changed. Yeah, you were so, so anytime you, you anytime you say something publicly, um, there will be people who will disagree with it and hallelujah. Um, but like, so it's kind of like, uh, let me try, let me shift examples for a second. Um, whenever I'm around somebody who's super fit, they don't have to tell me to exercise. I just feel it automatically. Like, dang, I wish, oh, thank, as Bonnie is flexing in the camera. Um, and, and yes, no, uh, right. No one has to tell me that I'm not in shape. I can just be around a super fit person and no. Um, I think there was something about Jesus that was so magnificent and so gracious and so, so beautiful that um, that you had no alternative. It revealed your heart mm. towards God, mm. right? It was He was so overwhelming and so yeah. disruptive in the best possible way. And so I feel like as we go through life doing our best to make sense of Jesus following and to be faithful in Jesus following, um, sometimes uh, we will... Uh, do or say something that reveals people who are, you know, so, so let's say if, uh, if I say, Hey guys, I, I believe the concern, I, I take the conservative view on, um, on uh, Genesis one and two about gay marriage. And so I think marriage is a covenant between one man, one woman. Now I can say that as gently and kindly as I can. Right. But that's gonna, that's still gonna be offensive. In that case, I'm not, I'm now, uh, we could argue about whether or not you say it that way. And that's his point is that there are ways that you can convey that that don't feed into the antagonism machine. But there, there is a natural sense in which there will just simply be enemies as we try to follow Jesus faithfully in the world. Does this make sense? Am yeah. I making any sense? Totally. Yep. Tim, you're looking at me funny and that's why I'm asking. No, you are. I'm, I wanted to hear what you, you were going to say about uh, so, women in ministry. Oh, okay. Well, just that, just that. You can't help. So when that becomes a public thing, what's the what's the critique? The, the critique is um, liberal, mm -hmm. right? Um, just uh, culturally moving with the culture rather than staying faithful to the text. Mm -hmm. And and I'm not saying those people are enemies at all. I'm just saying I don't have to be antagonistic in any way in order to draw that criticism. I can just do whatever 
it is I'm doing and there will automatically be people who will already it. Be you know there. what I'm saying? Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. Because we're <laughs> dealing with entrenched positions already. So to me, the the idea that you can reveal enemies without making them mm. is super critical. I like how you put and, that. Yeah. And so, no, that, was, that distinction was his. But um, I thought, I was like, okay, okay, okay. So what Jesus is advocating when he talks about turning the other cheek and walking a second mile, it's actually shaming. Um, it, it's, it's refusing to just be passive, but it's also not returning evil for evil. It's an entirely different way. We've talked about this like a hundred episodes ago. It's an entirely different way of, of shaming your accuser, of shaming mm. the person who's shaming you. I mean, it's genius what he's doing. Right. This is what Fitch is trying to, to elevate us to, which is, hey, it's simple. It's absolutely simple to to the minute somebody opposes you to call, call them an enemy uh, and to, you know, retreat into the cemented antagonisms. The Jesus way, however, is a much different, broader, more compelling way that involves, I mean, all the stuff we talk about, right? I mean, sitting down and right. listening and sharing the bread and the cup and, you know, I mean, so that's yeah. what... I don't know. Did that answer? Does that yes. make sense? No, that's really good. Yeah. And now I, I really am good. reminded I'm not mean. You're not mean. <laughs> I'm not a mean person. Oh, Scout. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. We're all parents. I know. We're all middle-aged parents. I mean, it's I don't awesome. think I'm middle-aged yet. Just kind of. <laughs> just a little bit. We might be on the road, but... Just, just... I think you're just kind of like a couple years behind me well it's so when talking about that when you just were talking about um arguing well and being able to do it over the table is um when he talked about i loved what he said go get some crackers crackers. (laughs) (laughs) keep that in tim that listen (laughs) this is what parenting is is all right this is this is what parenting is go I will say to Seth, go find the iPad. Okay? That is horrible parenting. And yet we all do it and our kids survive. And it's fantastic. Go get some crackers. Go get some crackers. I'm going to ask this question. You can start and I'll chime back in. All right. Okay, I'll get you more food. So when he says, when he's talking about the pre-millennialism and the inerrancy conversation. Yes. And he's like, everybody was so hardcore about that. And it's they didn't even realize why. Or what yeah. it really meant. And then he was yeah. talking about, and then that's changed because cultural culture has changed. I yeah. thought that was so fascinating because so um, it's what we've talked about so much, but like the work of, of the kingdom should always be discernment. Yes. Oh, come on. Come you on, know? buddy. Come on, me. <laughs> should always be yep. discernment and yep. not just like these rule followings or, or doing okay. these. And I think that's a difference. I want to explore that between antagonistic and enemy. Like when we yes. use discernment. Yes. So great, great, Bonnie. Great stuff. So what happens, according to Fitch, is that there'll be a distinctive um, that that in inerrancy. So, so there was this huge, in the early 20th century, um, critical emphasis on critical scholarship and questioning some things in the scriptures. And, and actually we're just kind of revisiting that a hundred years later, interestingly enough. But one of the reactions to that was this idea of inerrancy. And, and in the, so as, as you're looking at the church kind of from a global perspective, there was a needed correction and clarification about, no, what is it that we think about the Bible? 
And, and, but that, what happens is that distinctive, right? A distinction that is helpful, important. So it's like the, the charismatic movement saying, Hey, don't forget the Holy spirit mm. or the, um, you know, or the, uh, evangelical movement saying, Hey, 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 uh, let's share our faith. You know, that, that kind of thing. Like what begins to happen is that that distinctive becomes a banner. It becomes a rallying right. cry. Right. And it and it gets turned in not not into a place of thoughtful conversation. It gets turned into something he calls a banner that ultimately because an, becomes an empty signifier requiring no discussion. So, I mm. so somebody can say, "Hey, do you believe in inerrancy?" The minute I don't answer unequivocally yes, I've become a bad guy in that in the banner sort of yes. way of thinking. Makes yes. sense the boundary 100%. way of thinking. Yep. And what he's going after is, "Hey, the people who fight for inerrancy um, very often, I think, um, uh, well, they fight for a certain views of inerrancy at a popular level. Very often, those people aren't really familiar with the Bible at all. They're just infatuated with their high view of what they think the Bible is. And that's, right. that becomes a way to distinguish the in crowd and the out crowd. This is boundary focused sort of mm -hmm. stuff using box language. So, um, and so like the charismatic movement. Um, uh, you know, uh, Hey guys, speaking in tongues, those gifts for today. Awesome. That's a distinctive. Uh, but then it becomes a banner like for some, not everybody, but for some, Hey, you've got to speak in tongues or else you're not saved. You've got to yep. be baptized in the spirit right. or you're not saved. All of a sudden now it's an us versus them play. Yep. So that my big objection to the affirming, non-affirming conversation is that it's playing into that same dynamic that we've mm. seen over and over and over and over. And it's just an it's empty just a signifier. new banner. Right. Yep. It, but it's an empty signifier because it means we don't have to talk. Mm. The minute I know where you stand, we're done. Right. And I am able to label you and I'm able to place you and to either trust you or not trust you, depending on how you answer this one simple question. Mm. So I was, I was preaching at a church in Southern California. A gal came up. And I think I've said this before. I don't remember. But she said, hey, are you affirming? Are you, are, are you affirming? And, and I know what she meant. And I said, well, yes and no. Mm -hmm. And she just sat there angry. Like mm -hmm. you could just see the fact that there was any qualification at all. Right. Right now. And I understand. I mean, they, they, and there's important clarity here. But um, without understanding what she means by that. Right. And what I mean by that. Um, and what Jesus might mean, <laughs> you know, as he as, as we talk about fidelity to him these days. Uh, you you just get to escape that whole conversation by the, using the, the the banners. And I'm not saying they're not important. I'm not saying the inerrancy banner isn't an important. I'm just saying it becomes in the enemy making machine something that was a distinctive that contributed to the body. But now the like the inerrancy debates were had in an entirely different context than the discussions we're having about the Bible now. Right. And so is that the most, my question is, is it the most helpful way, inerrancy, to describe our relationship to the scripture and how we view it? And I'm saying no, but the minute the the, the conservative, you know, crew uh, uses that banner, well, then I'm out. I'm the enemy, you know, yeah. I'm whatever, even though I may believe in the concept entirely. Right. So that's his point, is that these banners become empty signifiers that require us not to talk to each other anymore. Yeah. yeah. Totally. I love that. I, I loved that. And I think what a good litmus test if you're living according to a banner is how you respond to somebody or yeah. Yeah. how they respond to you. I mean, I have been called a heretic too many times to count. 
for many reasons, but one being just that I'm a woman who preaches. Yeah. And um all because of a certain banner. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like doesn't yep, know sure. me, doesn't hasn't probably even heard me, like none of that, um, but because of a banner of women in ministry. Um yeah, that and was I'm fascinating. Saying, and I'm not saying that having uh, boundaries is not important. I mean, I have them. Like somebody, yeah. somebody says, "Hey, I deny the literal physical resurrection of Jesus," and I'm saying, "Well, I that seems kind of central to the whole thing." You know what I mean? Like, right. like I'm not saying there aren't those places, but what I am saying is um, if they're used to preclude thoughtful engagement with each other and mutual discernment, mm-hmm. um, then then they're doing nothing. They're doing nothing mm-hmm. um, except feeding this antagonism machine. Yep. And so I, I thought um, that was the best part of his book was to go, okay, um, what are the banners I have, right? Because, yep. I mean, one would be, yeah, like I – I'd say Jesus is real. I'd say if, uh, you know, I mean, the battles I would fight would be things like if somebody said, Hey, like, uh, human beings are not made in the image of God. I'd fight that. Right. I'd fight salvation. Like it's by grace. Mm-hmm. I would fight like Jesus is uniquely God and uniquely human. Mm-hmm. I'd fight that he rose from the dead and lived and, you know, da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. So, so the question becomes, well, okay, how many of those can you have? But then how do you hold them? And that's the that's center focus boundary focus. Oh, go ahead, Tim. What were you going to say? No, just what you just said is how you, how you hold those. Cause those banners turn into like a, something that you're not willing to talk about. You just call it like a non, you know, whatever, but yeah, it's we're how, done. how you hold those certain tenets. I think it's interesting. I feel like I've had this. Like I've said before a few times, like I've resolved that I'm going to be in process for the rest of my life. Like mm-hmm. I'm going to be chasing after Jesus for the rest of my life. And I feel like I'm never going to quite understand or know everything. And part of that, I feel like that is intentional. And he's always teaching me something new. There's always something new that's being revealed that is, you know, I don't know. And I love it. I love that idea. And I always get a little shaky when people present absolute, like just absolutisms in church that... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. make me feel uncomfortable. And so hearing people who are really wise and well-read say like that discernment is an important key feature of all of this just makes me feel yeah. so much better. Cause it's like, Oh yeah, of course. Like you should be able to, that should be, that should be at the front of your toolbox at all times is being able to discern That's right. why and how and what and when and where, and always be in that conversation with people. It was yeah. a, that was yeah. a very, it was a very articulate and encouraging way to look at that stuff. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And the idea that we're improvising, you know, that's from uh, Gombus, who's channeling Gorman and Van Hooser. Yeah. What? No, no, no. What I was, I was, say? I was, go finish because I, it alerted well, me people, to something. People love that Do- stuff too because a lot of comments on the last Gombus episode were like, oh man, Mike, I love you. I trust you. I love your wisdom and i love hearing you be like oh wow like i hadn't thought about it that way (laughs) like hearing people that you respect being open to learning and open to being amazed and wowed by something is such a rad tenet of a leader yeah that's true i don't know but gombus was dropping dropping bombs i i'm telling you people want an outro on that like okay now you've digested it i got nothing to add i got nothing to freaking (laughs) add i mean what am i gonna say i almost agree with everything oh well, I was so going to say, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go back to what you were saying, Bonnie. No, I was just saying Tim jogged it and then you jogged it again of like, it made me think I was just kind of having like a flashback over like, say the past 
20 years, 15 years of my faith journey. And my ban and I'm realizing right now, like I do have banners, but the number of them have definitely become smaller. Amen. And I think that, like you were saying, Tim, being in process and having discernment, I think that's a mark for me, at least in my walk of if I'm applying discernment or not. Yeah. Because yeah. there was so much, I mean, part of deconstruction is taking your inherited beliefs and figuring out what do I really think about it, um, which can be scary and I think sometimes lonely. But um, if you have a community to talk it out, but also if you're using discernment as your guide, because I can remember like... Asking some of the hard questions for me was always really hard in examining those banners because it gave me anxiety that I was wrong, like it, that it mm -hmm. wasn't okay to be wrong. So if discernment is your focus and your tool and your resource, then it changes the game a little bit. And, and part of discernment is um, the tradition of the church, the authority of the scriptures, the yep. community of the saints. Um, you know, there, there is a, what God seems to be doing in the world. I mean, this is a broad, this isn't just me opening my Bible by myself, flipping through pages thinking, Hey, what does this verse mean to me? That's not what we're talking about when we talk about discernment, because that way too easily just becomes, well, I can believe whatever I want to believe and find a verse to justify it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Tim. I know that the funny thing is like the reason I defer to you on the aggression thing is I've had so much aggression in my past with things that I don't agree with and getting in those arguments. And then I was thinking about the banners because I remember going to like these concerts and the guys are out there with the big like you're going to hell banners. Yeah. And I was just like, yeah. so as soon as he started talking about banners, I was just picturing the people with the actual physical banners and I'd go and get in these mm. long arguments and fights with them that yeah. must have been so atrocious to anyone walking by to see two Christians yelling at oh, each yeah. other over yes <laughs> just like... yeah so so but then but then let's let's bring it back to us all right so bonnie the people that are out there saying that you're a heretic because mm -hmm. you teach and preach uh they hold the opposing view very firmly right. tim um the the folks that um that have have agreed with our president's assessment of himself as the king of Israel, huh. the second coming of God. No, I know. I, I just had to. It's so awesome. <laughs> the chosen one. I'm like, oh, this is so awesome. It's perfect. You couldn't script this better. No, it's just so funny. And I don't think he, I, I, maybe he needs, I don't know. I just, I just think it's just absolutely hilarious. But, um, you know, you, one of the things you've said is you have a very hard time supporting or uh, wondering about people who support him um, in light of, you know, who he's revealed himself to be um, or for, you know, or for me, I don't, I don't have any, but, but for you guys as sinners, um, uh, how we treat people then who carry a counter banner. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I did an interview with uh, Dr. Elaine Heath that will be, um, we'll have that out in, I don't know, a couple episodes from now or whatever. But um, she wrote a book called Healing the Wounds of Sexual Abuse. And so mm. we're talking about sexual abuse. And and she had experienced this. Um, and then she's with people who are experiencing this all the time. And she's an ordained pastor. And she ends the book by telling a story about how somebody in her church was arrested um, for child uh, sexual abuse. Mm. 
Okay. So it turns out, and this is like a well-known guy in the church and how she is confronted. I mean, I mean, can you imagine you've been sexually abused? Mm -hmm. You're dealing with the trauma of sexual abuse. And now somebody in your church that, you know, sexually abuse somebody else. And you're now invited in to walk with them. What Mm -hmm. do you do? And she tells the story of how she chose to walk with him um, it, through his sentencing and his trial and his mm. jail time and, 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 and what it did to her. And I'm right. just like, oh, my goodness. You know, that, that's what it means to love your enemies, yeah. right? We, our enemies aren't just ISIS or whatever you think the enemies are. These days, the enemies are the Christians who hold another view. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, for some, for some of us, and that's what Fitch is arguing. He's like, dude, we become a church of us versus them. We're not known for love. We're just known for anger towards each other. Yeah. yeah. And, and I thought, oh, what a, what a bomb she dropped at the end of this book. I was like that, no, that's the Jesus part, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the other part is the Jesus part too about identifying how this works, but it's so easy to talk about all those lame banner people and how they bannered me. But, but instead to go, okay, so, um, you know, Bonnie, Pastor Bonnie's, here's this person that um, vehemently thinks that women should not be uh, pastors and teachers. And then there's the opportunity to love and serve them. It's why. It's why. It's why it is so unbelievably important that communities are not monolithic in what they think mm-hmm. and how they are politically and how they view sexuality. It is so, you cannot discern with a monolithic community. Right. Right. And, and Paul assumes in his writings that we're going to, I mean, I mean, all of his one another commands assume our continued hurting of each other, right? Mm-hmm. Forgive one another and, and um, be compassionate with one another and love one another. Right. And they all just assume the mess but that's why, I mean, one of the things I loved about Vox Community um, was the fact that we had Trump lovers and Trump non-lovers. We had uh, openly gay people and people that thought that openly gay people were going to, you know, burn in hell forever. Like, there's something about that mm-hmm. that the church has missed. And, and sitting in that sort of tension and mess, um, that to me is where the best discernment happens. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. So I don't know. Anyway, we've... We've, 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 we've doubled Fitch's interview. It was so good though. It was so good. Okay. So I think we should do a giveaway and for better or worse, I think people should comment after they view this, go find us on the uh, social medias and comment. <laughs> like, I don't know. What do you guys think about this? The question of um, like, what banners do we have either we hold or that we see right now? Okay. Um, because okay. I think sometimes there are banners that exist that I don't even know. Yeah, and I don't know someone's pain that they're dealing with that or whatever it is. So I would think that would be enlightening. So banners, okay. So the so it's a confession, either confession or like I see or like I see this happening. Okay. You could do either one. All right. So like I'm looking out at Christian culture and I see uh, immigration as yeah. a as a banner for yeah. people. Yeah, and it defines who you are as a person if you believe whichever way you believe. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Perfect. And so Bonnie. Bonnie's a rock star. Bonnie uh, is as will the do the book say. as the review per the I, review. I mean, uh, Bonnie will do the book giveaway like we did last time. So we're on Instagram. Tim, what's our Instagram? Vox Podcast. Okay, what's our Twitter? Mike Erie. 
Oh, um, it is? Yeah. You're, you're going to have to. I'm like the worst Twitter person, so you're going to be holding up the Twitter. I carry like, Twitter. I love the Twitter. <laughs> well, when you put it I on love uh, the Instagram, it'll, you can share the same thing straight to Twitter. And True, Facebook. I do that sometimes. But I don't know how to do the magic posts. You know what I mean? Like, like here's a picture that I'm writing on and have little emojis attached to it. And I don't, I don't have any idea. So you guys are Instagram, all right? I am the tweets. And Bonnie, you're, you're kind of kill it. You, you kill it on Facebook. I'm not going to lie. Thank you. I'm not going to lie. Thank you I'd give so you a five-star Facebook review. Oh my gosh! Yeah, Again, if you have anything to say about the social media, you can go to the Vox review section. <laughs> <laughs> so we try. So if there's no name attached, well, see, I, no, I, I keep saying rule. Bonnie. I just keep saying Bonnie. No, just yeah, I try. Yeah. yeah, and it's definitely me if there's an emoji. Yeah, I, I think people. <laughs> People will learn. You use punctuation and there are emojis and it's pleasant. <laughs> I'm usually just kind of to the point like with a boom or a bam Except or a woohoo. You often, you do a good job of when long comments come in and you write uh, yeah, back. I try. Very thoughtful. I try. I try sometimes. All right. Um, so that's all we got, right? Anything else I need to say? Remind outro. anybody of? Outro, oh, outro. yeah, yeah, yeah. The outro oh, to the yes. Outro. Tim, why don't you why don't you uh, why don't you share this and then uh, yeah. and then just you know throw it to that and then fade it in? Yeah, I like my haircut. Yes. Uh, so this is um, and, and you had Seth do this with you a couple episodes. Oh, a few yeah, episodes, several episodes ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sweet Seth. Um, let me tell you. Let me tell you about Seth. <laughs> All right. Let me tell you about Seth Erie on his like fourth day of school. Yeah, is he in school today? He's in school today, but here's what he's doing. So yesterday he comes in and he says to me, Dad, Seth bad, spit on best friend, norm, no more school. <laughs> and, and, and I'm like, what are you talking about? It's like, Seth bad, no school more. And I said, okay. So I, they, I get a written report from the teacher and there's no, he was, had a great day. He was great. He, so Bonnie, he was making an event up so that he did so not he have, have to go to back go. to school. He's so clever. Okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Tim. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that's Seth Erie's world. No, we're I think that you it. guys, if you do the uh, Seth video YouTube channel, you guys should do a little like Ferris Bueller skit and just oh have him goodness. in there, and, but have him do his version of it. Of we like... thought about... <laughs> Oh, yes. Oh, well, that would be so easy. Let me give me some Cheez-Its. <laughs> give me mom's iPad tuned to uh, Sophia the first. And give me what we call a floppy. And uh, which is not a body part, but rather something he kind of engineers. And um, yeah, yeah, that's that's Seth right there. And then maybe he'll come in. He'll be buck naked. And he'll come in and say, daddy, big snuggle time. So this this is a this was a sermon it. that Mike gave a while ago and it was, in, it was in the same series as the one that we released on here the chutzpah this was the episode before the chutzpah episode Ooh. or the sermon before the chutzpah sermon chutzpah. so it was a series on prayer and you during the sermon were reading off different uh, Jewish prayers and and this is the one that you guys do as a family and uh, there was a, a young lady in the crowd during your first service who came up and said hey. I'm Jewish. We sing this every day. Oh, and so oh. she gets on stage and sings it and it's beautiful. So yeah, yeah, yeah. my wife and I listened to it a few times and then I went in and I thought, well, the recording's clean enough that I just put some music underneath it 
and just kind of make it sound, I don't know, like it was released for this purpose. So we'll tag it on right here. There's a little intro by Mike talking about the prayer itself and reading it with the, with the audience. And then you'll hear her sing, which is wonderful. That's, That's awesome. awesome. Great Thank job, you. Tim. Thanks, Tim. Yeah. Good job, Tim. Somebody leave a five-star review for Tim. Could somebody My do that just so we will. know you're listening? When he listens, he's like, gosh, there's Tim. Why doesn't Tim speak more? And then he kind of uh, that... looked at me like, because you're talking so much. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do hear that. Why doesn't Tim speak more? But see, if he spoke more, like it would lose the Timness. I know. Now people are tuning in just to wait for Tim to tune in. So if, yes. you, if you give them everything they want up front, they might not listen anymore. I think that's exactly. totally it. Absolutely. <laughs> 100%. All right, friends. Thanks for uh, always, as always, thanks for letting us be a part of your life. Have a great rest of your week. Enjoy. All right. So this is what the Erie, this is what the Erie family does over dinner. Jesus would have done this at least twice, maybe three times a day. Even today, Jewish rabbis teach. This is the prayer that's the first prayer in the morning and the last prayer at night. All right. It comes from Deuteronomy. We're going to say the Hebrew, then we're going to hear the English, and then we're going to sing the Hebrew because my friend Jennifer came up to me after the service and said, hey, I'm a Jewish follower of Jesus and we sing this. And I'm like, awesome. So we're going to say it, say it in English, sing it. All right. Are you ready? Let's get our Hebrew on. Shema Israel. Adonai Elenehu. Adonai Akkad. Hero Israel. The Lord our God. The Lord alone. Love the Lord your God. With all your heart. With all your soul. With all your mind. With all your strength. Amen. Now, normally, Jennifer, my Jewish sister, said, We sing this. So she offered to sing it for us. So why don't you come right over here so we don't have to move the cameras. I offered to sing it and she said no. So you sing it. Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu